The text for today's message is 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Now I would remind you that the Apostle Paul summed up what every Christian, whether man or woman, boy or girl, should be able to say to others. And that is this, imitate me as I also imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. And so in our text today, we behold Paul's view of himself and how he lived his Christian life, and we would do well to follow in his steps. And so Paul says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Now, the Corinthians had received the gospel of grace. They had been enriched in all knowledge, 1 Corinthians 1.5. They were a gospel-centered church, we might say today. Grace, grace, grace. Freedom, liberty. I have been forgiven, washed, cleansed. I am free. All things are lawful to me, says the Corinthian Christian. And it is apparent, as you read through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that the Corinthian Christians have fallen for what might be called the trap of cheap grace. Paul responds to their concerns, and what may be a quote from them saying, all things are lawful to me, but Paul says, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's 1 Corinthians 6.12 and also 10.23. And so the church in Corinth had fallen into grievous sin, not least of which the sexual sort, because the members failed to see what Paul elsewhere teaches with great clarity, as also in our passage today, that self-control is not an optional aspect of the Christian life. And so we will look at this verse under three main headings, Paul's discipline of his body, Paul makes his body his slave, and Paul's refusal or concern that he would be disqualified, and we'll conclude with some application. And so the first part of the verse, the Apostle Paul notes that he disciplines his body. This may be properly rendered, I pummel my body, I give myself a black eye. The primary enemy in Paul's mind in the day-to-day of the Christian life is not Satan, is not the world, but himself. The outward energy that so many exert to change others would be far better exerted if it was turned back on ourselves in many cases. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, that we must take the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brothers. So Paul might have us hear a similar proverb based on this verse, give yourself a black eye, a broken nose, a bloody lip, before you seek to wound a friend with a stinging rebuke. Now, this is not to say that we should not correct others. For the scripture stands, faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6. And the Lord Jesus did not say, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye, but only make certain that you have dealt with yourself first before dealing with your brother. And so Paul here in this first part of the verse instructs us in the way of all spiritual disciplines, and that is a self-inflicted discipline. The carelessness, contrary to this passage, the carelessness with which many professing Christians live out their lives today makes one wonder if they have ever read these words from Paul. I discipline 
my body. They may say, surely not, Paul. Christianity is all about what God has done for us, right? The gospel is all about Jesus doing it all for me, right? Maybe God will discipline me from time to time to make sure I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing all right. But I don't have to take ownership for my own spiritual health, do I? 2,000 years later, the word of God stands, I discipline my body. And I fear many today misunderstand the concept of grace that is, as it is applied to the individual's Christian, Christian's life. The great doctrines of grace have been adopted by some who do not speak with the same sobriety as Paul. I discipline my body. To understand true biblical grace, we need look no further than Paul himself. For Paul proclaimed the grace of God with such vigor and passion that doubtless only the Lord himself could be considered a better preacher of the doctrines of grace. For it is Paul who said, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, Romans 5.20. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace, Romans 6.14. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. And so Paul was the great herald of God's sovereign free grace. And yet he could not stand the thought of allowing his body, his desires, his emotions to in any way at all have any influence over him. Rather than that happen, he would beat his body into submission. Paul understood that true grace, the true grace of God, trains us to live self-controlled, and upright and godly lives in the present age, Titus 2.11. Paul understood that self-denial, self-control, and self-discipline are not an appendage to the Christian faith, but at its very core. And so as he spoke with Felix concerning faith in Christ, he reasoned about what? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come in Acts 24, verse 25. And Felix, that greedy man who sought to use this preacher of God's grace to enhance his self-indulgent living, could have handled the message of cheap grace. He could have handled the message that God forgives you, and it's all about what he has done, but he couldn't handle Paul's Christianity. And so the Bible tells us that Felix was afraid. He trembled and told Paul, go away. And so many today, when they hear these words from Paul, I discipline my body, will say to Paul, go away. And I know today there are many preachers today who will shy away from talking about repentance of specific sins because it may turn people off to the gospel. That's not what Paul did. In his evangel evangelistic encounter with Felix, he went for the jugular and talked about self-control. Faith in Christ means denying yourself. If anyone would come after me, our Lord said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Luke 9.23 And so now note two things briefly about this bodily discipline that Paul speaks of in this first part of the verse. Number one, it must not be understood as simply physical castigation. A physical um, beating of yourself. An error, there's an error and it's one that Paul dealt with in his day, is that by simply punishing yourself physically, you will be able to rid yourself from sin. 
But Paul says that those man-made rules and, and those man-made attempts at physical castigation, lashing yourself, beating yourself, may appear profitable but are of little worth. For he notes, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect or severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians 2.23 So there are those, especially in Paul's day, even up through the Reformation era, um, many in the Roman Catholic Church who would simply abuse their bodies in an attempt to become more holy. That's an erroneous view. Paul corrects it in Colossians. So that, that is not what is to be understood from this. However, what is to be understood is this. Paul speaks of the whole man, not simply the physical, though not neglecting that, but Christian self-control begins inwardly with the heart and mind and extends to every area of your life. As Barnes notes, Paul made use of all possible means to subdue his corrupt and carnal inclinations. Okay, so just as an athlete exercises self-control or is temperate in all things, so Paul disciplined his body in all things. He would not be mastered by anything in his life. If the mind of a man does not control the desires of his body, then you can be sure that the desires of his body will control the mind of the man. So the question to Paul was this. It was not, what must I be self-disciplined in? It was rather, what can I be self-disciplined in that will edify others? What can I be self-disciplined in that will bring the most glory to Christ? I will discipline my body. My body is not, will not, my body will not control me. My emotions will not control me. My passions will not control me. I will control them. And so, in the next phrase, Paul says, not only does he discipline his body, but I keep it under control, or I bring it into subjection. So he does not simply discipline his body. You see, the Christian life is not simply a matter of making the attempt at holiness and temperance in all things. Paul actually brought his body into subjection. Literally, this means that Paul made his body his slave. He led his body around like an animal on a chain, fulfilling the righteous desires of the new Paul. For he says elsewhere in a similar vein, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, Romans 6, 13. Contrary to Paul's relationship with the old man, right, the old man, the body, this is what Paul has in mind, many today are led captive by their lusts, desires, appetites, and emotions. Their lust for power leads them to trample on the rights of others. You see that phrase, it leads them. They're being led by their lusts. Their desire for comfort leads them to neglect those in need. Their emotions lead them to do foolish and immoral things. In every case, they are led captive, like a dog with a chain around his neck being pulled by some punk to a dogfight where sin will have its way. The Apostle Paul says, No, I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be brought under the power of anything. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And we are commanded to do this. We are commanded to subdue the old man. We are commanded to bring our body into subjection. And Paul brought his body into subjection to himself. 
Elsewhere, we are given the image of killing the old man. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, Colossians 3, 5. So Paul knew nothing of the pagan notion of listening to your heart and doing what feels right. Paul says, I make my emotions my slave. All right, now note two things now from this portion where Paul says, I keep my body under control or I bring my body into subjection. Note, well, first of all, note that Paul says we can do this. Paul is assuming that this can be done. Our emotions, our passions, our desires, our lusts can be brought under control. We can bring our body into subjection. We can make it our slave. Now, there are two errors relating to that. The first one that I've seen is more common in Arminian circles, among those who do not see the sinfulness of sin or the depravity of man to the degree that they ought. And so they have a false sense that man may become free from sin. The error is this, that external purity and discipline is equal to holiness. So what happens is this, a man may have an emotional experience that leads him to profess the name of Christ. Some would consider that a conversion. However, if you could peel back the layers of this man's heart, you would see that he, was not, he did not come into the Christian religion the proper way. He's not mastering his emotions. He did not deny himself. For many a man and woman, perhaps even boy or girl, has professed Christianity in a flurry of emotions, only to later abandon their faith because their emotions lead them elsewhere, just like a dog on a leash. Because they did not enter the Christian faith in the proper manner, they are not living their Christian life in the proper manner. It's like the two characters from John Bunyan's classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Formalist and hypocrisy. These two men enter the Christian life by the wrong way. They climb over the wall to get onto the road of salvation. They enter the Christian life without counting the cost, without going through the straight and narrow way. And thus they are unable to truly master their bodies and emotions, and so they focus on external things alone. They are like those who, contrary to Paul, run aimlessly and beat the air. They exert much effort. They may appear very religious, as formalists and hypocrisy did. Climbing over that wall was not an easy task. It took effort and mental activity and, and discipline to a degree to climb over that wall. Yet it was of no use. Matthew pulled the Puritan commentary as helpful here. He notes that external things such as external discipline, such as fasting, wearing sackcloth, beating themselves, is much too short. These things do not reach the mind of man, his corrupt affections and lusts. And so... While Paul would use those things, he would use them as his wisdom taught him was proper to the end of denying himself and and gratifying his lusts. So the error among those like formalists and hypocrisy is, uh, is an uncertain running, an uncertain beating of the air, no clear path on where they are going in their Christian life. It is effort exerted. It will lead men to pray for hours a day because they believe it is a pious act of self-discipline, and yet they cannot control their temper, their appetite, their emotions. It will lead men to read the Bible and study the Bible and talk about the Bible and discipline themselves to memorize the Bible and even preach the Bible, 
but have no control over their own body, their mind, their emotions, their will. Such is not what Paul means when he says he makes his body a slave. Well, that's the first error that's among those, I believe, often in Arminian uh, circles. Now, there's a second error among those that I would loosely call careless Calvinists. Careless Calvinists. Those who may herald the doctrines of grace and correctly understand and teach the doctrine of the total depravity of man. However, their view is that we are such awful sinners and the gospel is all about grace, so we cannot really make our bodies our slaves and master ourselves. To promote the view of Paul here, that I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, would almost seem like legalism to many of them. This error, unfortunately, leads people to excuse serious lapses in self-control and temperance especially among prominent leaders, in the name of grace. Well, that's an erroneous view as well. The correct view is presented here in our text. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. We will not be sinless short of glory. That is true. We must never forget that, 1 John 1.8. But this text, among others, leads me to stand on the truth that we can and we must be free from sin in its most obvious and harmful manifestations as we fight sin at its root. Christians are not to be controlled by sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, John 8:34. Whoever abides in him does not sin, 1 John 3:6. And so we have no option. We must say with Paul, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And so Paul doesn't just say he pummels his body but he also makes it a slave. And he doesn't just say he makes it a slave without pummeling his body. You cannot have one without the other. You see, people often want to master their emotions and desires without doing the hard work of disciplining themselves, forcing themselves to put off the wrong thoughts, even though it feels so right to think that way, forcing themselves to say no to certain things, whether it's food, activities, use of time, in order to set a pattern for a life of usefulness for the kingdom. Paul's body was his slave. He said, do this, and it did it. We read of this type of authority in the Gospel of Matthew, where the centurion says, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Matthew 8, 9. And so we must know what commands to give our body. Paul didn't run aimlessly. He didn't beat the air. He had a purpose and a direction for his life. And he, abs- he had a purpose for everything he abstained from and every area of life he exercised self-discipline in. And this is why we must know the scriptures. This is why it's so, so important, children, that you listen to your parents as they teach you from God's word. We must know the law of God and how it applies to every area of our lives so that we might not run aimlessly in our Christian life. Part of the problem, problem in modern evangelicalism may in fact perhaps be that not so much a lack of desire on the part of Christians to run the race well, but an aimlessness that is evident in the the lack of application coming from the pulpits in our land. The Lord's people surely do want to discipline their body, but without instruction and direction, they may end up running aimlessly. As we move on from this section to Paul's final concern about being qualified, I would note four brief descriptions of beating your body and making it your slave. Number one, it's uncomfortable. The image of punching yourself in the face 
which is not what Paul is literally telling us to do, as I have mentioned, but that image of giving yourself a black eye isn't, is not an image that's meant to make you comfortable. Number two, it's painful, right? You have to say no to things that you otherwise would be allowed to do. In fact, that may be lawful to you, but are not profitable. Number three, it's strategic. As I said, Paul doesn't beat the air. He lands his blows. Going to the gym every day while neglecting your wife and family is missing your target. You have to be strategic about how you live your Christian life. And number four, it is what some would call unnecessary. According to many Christians, you don't have to do these things. You don't have to be diligent and discipline yourself and say no to certain things that you're free to do. And so many would characterize this beating of the body and making it a slave as unnecessary. I trust we will not. As we move on to the final portion of this verse, we see Paul's concern here is that if he does not discipline his body and bring it into subjection, he will be disqualified. For he notes, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now this could refer to either the Christian life itself or ministry in particular. And it should be noted that it is certainly true that a failure to follow the first part of this text has led to many ministers becoming disqualified for ministry. Doubtless the fall of many men is due to a lack of self-control, a lack of sobriety about maintaining the strictest regimen of discipline in their minds first and in their lives leads them to be slack and given to permissible practices that lead to impermissible permissible sins and their ultimate downfall. Now, if we take this as far as the Christian life, where Paul says in the athletics games there was a herald who would announce the rules to the uh, competitors, generally in those games the, the herald would not participate. But of course, Paul is participating in the Christian life even as he uh, proclaims the rules. And so he says, lest I do this, lest I announce to you the way of salvation, I don't walk in it myself and be disqualified, we may note this from this text. Paul believed salvation and assurance of salvation were worth fighting for. Do we? Children. The Apostle Paul wanted to be saved. He wanted that assurance. Do you want to be saved yourself? Though Paul would have been a five-point Calvinist had the term existed at the time, he wanted to make his call and election sure. He did not take salvation for granted. The troubling thought that after all the preaching, all the teaching, all the instruction, that he would be disqualified spurred him to deal severely with his carnal affections and lusts. And Peter teaches us that that act of disciplining yourself and adding to your faith knowledge and virtue is actually what brings about that precious assurance of salvation that we can have. All that Paul did in his preaching did not benefit his personal holiness and qualifications. You see, the pastor who points to all that he has done in ministry at the neglect of his personal holiness and the discipline of his desires and lust is disqualified. It does not matter what Paul did in his preaching. It mattered how he was as a man. Barnes notes, the fact that a man has preached to many is no certain evidence that he is saved. Paul had preached to thousands, and yet he felt that after all this, there was a possibility that he could be lost. Now, I believe Paul had assurance of his salvation because he walked in holiness and he trusted in the Lord. So I'm not teaching 
that we cannot have assurance of salvation. But yet we learn from this that Paul took it so seriously that he would not be slack in the way that he dealt with his, his life. So he beats down his body. He took charge of his spiritual life. There was no one asking Paul if he wanted to get more serious about the Christian life. It was Paul himself who corrected and disciplined his own mind and his own body. He took matters into his own hands. And let me say this, at the end of your Christian life, what you do to honor God will stand or fall based on what you have done, not others. Children, what will you do with the gospel truth that your parents have taught to you? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things which are done in his body, according to what he has done, whether it be good or evil, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul lived this. He would not dare preach the message and not practice it. He took charge of his spiritual life. In the final ten minutes here, I would like to conclude with some application. I have one major point of application, and then four or five minor ones. The major point of application is this. The notion of living your Christian life in such a way as to simply do what is permissible should, I hope, disgust you. I hope it disgusts you. The Apostle Paul lived with his life with a sobriety and soberness and joy. He had joy, but he lived his life with sobriety because he was not simply seeking to eke his way through the Christian life. He was not simply seeking to live a permissible Christian life. Rather, he was seeking to master every emotion, every desire, every inclination of his mind and bring it into subjection and make it his slave. The Apostle Paul did great things. He preached to thousands. God used him to convert the Roman Empire. I do not think it's a stretch to say that. As far as the spread of the gospel throughout the known world, he did great things, but the greatest, no doubt, was his mastery of his own flesh. Will the same be said for you? You may not see the results of your labor, all of them, but perhaps the smallest thing you can do, mastering your emotions, mind, desires, and lust, is actually the greatest thing you can do for the benefit of others and this world. Mothers, fathers, for a righteous man who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. If you do this, if you master your mind, your emotions, your body, you are blessing your children after you, who will in turn bless others. And so what we may think as a small thing is the greatest thing that can be done. So Paul set aside his rights in order to do that which was most edifying to others and will bring the most glory to Christ. You see, Christian self-control is not about what I can do, what can I do that is permissible. What a disgusting thought. I'm sick and tired of that being a reason for doing anything. I hear people say, well, I'm allowed to do this because the Bible doesn't say I can't. What a pathetic and sad way to live the Christian life. The Christian life is not about what's permissible. It's about what's most glorifying to Christ. Now, there are things that are permissible that you may do that another person would have self-discipline in. But to not think carefully about all that you do and simply use that as a reason, well, I can do this because as the Bible doesn't say, and I'm not going to think seriously about whether or not this is edifying, is a sad, sad reality among many today. And it leads us to this phrase that Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown introduce that's applied far, applied far too often today, and it's this, the extreme limit of Christian liberty. 
And they note this, quote, Paul implies, if such earnest, self-denying watchfulness over himself be needed still, with all his labors for others, to make his own calling sure, much more is the same needed by the Corinthians, instead of their going as they do to the extreme limit of Christian liberty. And so this extreme limit of Christian liberty is at work among us today. Hey, the Bible doesn't say you're not allowed uh, to send your kids to the government school where they'll spend eight hours a day, five days a week for 11 years learning doctrines that mock Christ. So I can do it. The Bible doesn't say I can't binge watch every television show, every series that comes out that is the latest thing. So I can do it. The Bible doesn't say I can't be on my phone every day and, and looking at things. I can do it. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. Families, churches, and communities need men and women who will stop living based on what is simply permissible and instead choose to live in such a way that they can say with Paul, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. I am master of every desire, every decision, everything that happens in my life, fathers, in my family's life, as leaders in the home. And I will do all to magnify the name of Christ, edify others, and serve God. Well, that's the main point of application that may be applied to many areas. May I give a couple here now, uh, an attempt to, to kind of give some more concrete examples. There are many we could go through, but I'll list five here very briefly. Um, number one, this is more of a, a leading by example type thing. And again, I address parents. You cannot hope to teach your children self-control if you are not doing it yourself. We don't have time today, but Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, is a passage from God's law, which talks about a son who is rebellious against his parents. And when the parents bring the son to the magistrates for his execution, because he is a grown child, he's lived his life as a young boy growing up, spurning his parents' instruction, and now he is given over to what the scripture says, gluttony, and drunkenness. He is a glutton and a drunkard. The two things that may perhaps most epitomize a lack of self-control. No control over what you eat and drink. And this grown son is given over to be executed because what he has become is a menace to society and a menace to his family. And so that is the severe consequence and end of not controlling your emotions. And so, parents, we need to be diligent to teach our children self-control. Will we be disqualified when we fail to live up to the standards that we teach our children? And Paul was not exempt from the conditions he proclaimed, neither are we as we teach our children. So may you challenge yourself and look in the mirror and say, am I living what I'm preaching to my children? Well, number two, consider sleep. Being self-disciplined as it concerns sleep. Proverbs 20.13 says, Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So the poverty here is not simply physical but also a spiritual poverty. And we need to be disciplined with how we use our time of sleep. Now, there is... A, there's a discipline on both sides. So if you, are not, if, you are, if you are loving sleep, like the scripture says, you are not disciplining your body. You're sleeping and you're loving sleep. And this will lead to a lack of self-control, self-discipline, and you are not being able to edify your family because you are lazy 
Even if you're awake, if you have laziness and you're not diligent in your tasks, uh, you won't be mastering your emotions. Now, at the same time, there can be another side of this where if you are not getting enough sleep, it is due to a lack of self-control. Because Psalm 127 says that in vain do we stay up late and get up early and, and eat the anxious to- our anxious toil because God gives to his beloved sleep. So we have to exercise self-discipline in how much sleep we're getting, whether it's too much or too little. And children, you can work on this now. Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Don't lay in bed when the sun's up. Get up and get to work. Get things done. Read the scripture. Take charge of the day. And at the same time, perhaps for us adults, it may be getting enough sleep. Um, and Albert Martin talks about uh, ministers who came to him, young ministers, to the ministry and said, I just can't go on. I can't continue. There's just uh, too much. I'm burnt out. And um, Pastor Martin would tell them this. All right, he said, do three things. Uh, and I think these are the three things he said. He said, um, exercise three times a day. Actually, I'm going to read it here so I get it right. He says, you're trying to live like a disembodied angel rather than flesh and blood humanity. Here's your solution. First, exercise vigorously three times a week. Second, take a full day off a week. And third, spend at least one evening a week with your wife. All right, now this requires discipline to say no to certain things and to rest. And Albert Martin said that men would say, I can't do that. There's just too much to be done. I got, there's ministry, there's souls to be saved. I need to, I need to be at work at doing things. And Pastor Martin said, look, you came to me for help. Do these things, and if it doesn't work in a month, let me know. No one ever got back to him. Because Pastor Martin was telling them, you need to discipline your body. You need to discipline your mind and live your life with intention. And so if we are not getting enough sleep, then we will end up damaging our family and others as well. So this requires discipline. That's why it's not simply a physical, okay, I'm going to, you know, some people think it's spiritual. I, just, I don't need any sleep. I'm just going to serve the Lord. That's that error of, oh, whatever I, just, whatever I do aimlessly, just physically beating my body is going to bring about profit. It has to be intentional. Number three, we may consider lust. Sexual desire starts in the mind. Some may say, yeah, I know what I'm doing isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. I wish I had more self-control. They may want to beat their body and make it a slave, yet they refuse to do those things which are uncomfortable. They refuse to get rid of their phone. They refuse to get rid of the computer. And so they become enslaved um, to lust and, in some cases, pornography and, and wicked sins that destroy families and communities. And the man who is given to that is not disciplining his body. And I fear he is disqualified, certainly for ministry and perhaps for the Christian life, unless he repents and disciplines his mind in his life. Because Paul, everything Paul did to discipline his body was done for others. And if we are not doing that uh, as parents, as, as leaders in our home, as mothers leading our children, we will bring about great pain in our families and in the community. So are you willing to do what it takes to have self-control? It starts with pummeling your thoughts and bringing them into submission. Have the attitude of Paul, I will not be enslaved to anything, any thought, any action, any person, any desire, any emotion, any lust, any sin, anything will not control me. Very briefly as I wrap up, number four, family worship. Are you disciplined as a father to lead your family in worship? Every day, you know what? It's permissible probably to not have that pattern because you may say, look at the scripture, doesn't say I have to set aside a time where I specifically teach my children the word of God. 
You know what? But it's most edifying. And it allows us to fulfill the commands of Scripture where we are commanded to train up our children in the way they go and teach them the Word of God. And many a father in our land is lazy or perhaps doesn't have the direction and does not take the, the initiative to set the standard in the home for family worship. Because other things take over and he doesn't discipline his body and his life to get done what needs to be done, which is most edifying. Number five, eating. We talked about gluttony. Eating is always a way to remind your body that your mind is still in control. Say no to that second portion. Say no to that dessert. Remind your body that you are in control and you lead your body around, not the other way around. Well, in conclusion, I would say that one of the greatest dangers to our spiritual health is the idea of doing what is permissible. And I can assure you this, if you simply live your Christian life by doing what is permissible only, you will never get very far. You will be of little service to others. You will be like those of whom Peter says are blind and nearsighted. On the other hand, if we would discipline our body, then we will be as those who never fall, and in this way there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The charge is this. Do not simply do what is permissible in your life, but rather do that which is most edifying. Do not simply go along with the desires of your body and mind, but rather intentionally and strategically make them your slaves. In so doing, you may confidently proclaim the gospel message to others, whether it be your children, your neighbors, or a congregation. May you get to the end of your life and say with Paul, I disciplined my body and made it my slave. Imitate me as I imitated Christ.